listening to the inner voice is hard. I've had faced multiple moments in my life. I a personal relationship that was not a good fit that I listened to that took real it took a long time to listen to. A business, you know. I look at those things and it's like if I had made the comfortable decisions, even though my voice was screaming at me, I just probably hate myself for that to this day. And it'd be a lot of burden and trauma I think to carry with me. Um, I think the fact that I can look back on my life and really have no regrets around the big decisions and the things that are, I think to me are really important. Like, that's how I want to go out in this world. Welcome to the Driven Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst turned performance coach to founder CEOs and avid Brazilian jiu-jitsu and obstacle course race athlete. This podcast will feature conversations with uniquely driven and authentic individuals across sports, business, and wellness who continue to achieve great things in their respective fields. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Brian Wish. Brian is the founder of BW Missions, a firm dedicated to helping entrepreneurs, CEOs, and authors build their communities and amplify their voices. Some of their past clients include the Cairo Society, Alan Ganay, and the Atlanta Hawks. BW Missions offers their clients everything from strategy and brand architecture, website development, and PR and marketing services, all with the intention to help thought leaders find and carve their path forward. As his prior work shows, Brian has always had a passion for building community and amplifying voices for thought leaders. While at the University of Georgia, he founded and ran a college sales and marketing program with the Atlanta Hawks that now generates over $250,000 in annual ticket sales. Following that, he founded a platform called Wishdish that connects people through the sharing of personal stories. He describes it as TED Talks for personal storytelling, and since launch in 2015, the platform serves more than 600 contributors. In this interview, we discuss how and why Brian did the deep inner work early on in his life to find his true path. We touch on his days at the University of Georgia and what it took him to build the Atlanta Hawks brand ambassador program. We discuss his major takeaways from building Wish Dish and prior work with the Cairo Society and Alan Ganay. Finally, we delve into BW missions and future plans for the firm. And so, without further ado, my interview with Brian Wish. Good to cool. meet you. Yeah, you too, Brian. Thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So, we'll start at the beginning here. Where did you grow up? I grew up in, I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C., Fairfax, Virginia area. Got it. Okay. And you mentioned on your website's My Story page that you had an anxious childhood. Would you mind expanding on that a little? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was, I mean, I guess it was a bit anxious, right? When you, when you go through a divorce as a young kid, um, I think it alters your perspective of, of how things, um, how like what the family is and, and kind of how you move through the world. And I think when you face that at a young age, I think that um, you just, it's hard to fit in and like find your ground because everything at, at home is kind of disrupted. So when you come into a school environment or a sports league environment, finding common ground can be, I think, a little more difficult with others around you. Um, so that's, that's what I definitely think uh, as to why 
it was a little more difficult slash different. But again, everyone has their own challenges. Some people grow up with no mom or dad. Some people grow up with a parent fighting cancer, right? Like it's not that mine was singularly, singularly different and harder than anyone else's journey. I think because of what was built around my situation, I think it presented more challenges and, um, but challenges that I would have rather faced at a young age and had awareness into and facing that into a later age um, because I think it made me think about the more meaningful questions of life earlier. Right. So it sounds like it was mainly driven by the, the divorce of your parents that kind of created that anxiety of feeling like uh, maybe you didn't have a lot of common ground with the rest of your peers at that age. Well, I don't know if like the you can draw a clear conclusion from the divorce that created, you know, a sense of kind of nervousness or anxiety at a younger age. Mm-hmm. By the way, I've never been diagnosed for anxiety. Um, however, I would say there's definitely times in my life where I've been more anxious than not. Um, I know sure. people who have anxiety and, and they're great people. Um, I would say that when certain things happen, I think it's a little harder to develop confidence when you're trying to overcome a lot from a young age because you're trying to understand things that are going on around you and you don't have the maturation and depth of understanding um, and you're just trying to make do with the world around you. So I think for me, kind of finding my way in the world was I think a little bit harder earlier, but also pushed me to think about things differently, which I think set me up better for later in life, where I think most people my age, or some of them lock themselves into these careers and marriages and things, and and then life becomes more about supporting the decisions that they've made when those maybe aren't the best decisions for them long-term. And I I just don't want to live like that, and I wanted to be a bit more intentional with how I kind of grew up. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. And by the way, I wasn't like assuming that you were diagnosed with anxiety or anything. <laughs> I just wanted to make clear for whoever listens to, because I think you know, there's a lot of health-based content that I share that like people around me share. And I value the health community and I value people who go through different things. But I also want to be clear too of my own kind of well-being. Right, right. And it looks like you're a pretty big sports fan. Uh, did you play a lot of sports growing up? Yeah, uh, I played basketball uh, in high school. Um, but it was beyond basketball, right? It was about the community, the sense of like belonging I felt with, with my peers, the workouts that brought me closer together, the, the skills I learned, how I, the, how I performed, how I gradually got better over time. I actually worked with and still work with a performance coach today Oh, wow. uh, I used to work with in high school. Um, his name's Neil uh, Bose. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from him and have applied a lot of his principles to just my life and frameworks around how I live. Um, and I think all those things considered, sports was a, a framework for me to apply in a lot of different areas of my own life and, and things that mattered and were most important to me. Um, so sports were definitely a... Uh, area where I could find common ground with people and, and kind of progress as an individual through a sport. And that was basketball at the time. Got it. 
And what was the, the life altering injury that you mentioned on your website? Yeah, I, uh, I had, uh, I was in CrossFit in college trying to get back in shape and, uh, kind of was going a little too fast and, uh, herniated two discs, uh, L4 and L5, um, took about two years to fully recover from. I didn't get surgery, but probably doing three or four different physical therapy. I was, I was doing this thing called, um, Vax D and then pulled the vertebrae apart. I was doing all the strengthening stuff, uh, just weight stuff on my own. And I was working with a manual therapist. I was swimming. I mean, I was doing everything you name it to get better. Um, kind of rewire my brain around the injury because when you injure yourself, the brain kind of gets unwired from its normal neural pathways. So everything I was doing was trying to build strength in my core, strength in different areas. Um, so yeah, that's, um, that was, that was that. I also had shoulder surgery two years ago. So I've had my fair share of kind of hard injuries, but at the end of the day, though, too, at 27, I'm very conscientious of my health, what I eat, how I work out, and like much more functional way of living. So honestly, I'd rather those things happen earlier because I have the rest of my life to kind of be functional around areas because I'm cognizant of what the body can do. So yeah, uh, to me, I think the injuries were a blessing in disguise at the time. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Would you call yourself a natural or born entrepreneur? Like, were you the were you the kid who would always put up lemonade stands and kind of have a journal of business ideas that you'd always um, kind of write in? I think I just because of how I grew up, because I was never the kid who really I think fit into the common narrative of the world, and, and I just felt like oh, the way I, and the way I entered the world and, and my situation, I. I was always in a different world and, and I think that world sometimes led me to ideas and because um, I didn't really fit into the, I think the common ways of a normal childhood. And so because of that, yeah, I did find myself snowblowing driveways, asking people to rake their leaves, not because I needed to, but because I, I liked the idea of accomplishing something and making a sale and kind of that dopamine effect of getting paid. Um, there's no better feeling than doing something simple then. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, when there was an opportunity in front of me, I always kind of found a way to make the most of it. And, uh, that's what, that's what I think life's about is recognizing the opportunities, whether they're personal, professional, and kind of figuring out when to strike and how to, how to strike the right way. Yeah. And so were you ever, were you ever pressured by like friends or family to ever go like the, the traditional career route? Yeah. After college, I, um, I came home and, um, I wanted to, you know, work on a startup full time. And I remember I, I presented a deck. Uh, I came home after my spring break trip to talk to my parents and tell them I wasn't going to go to my job in New York that I accepted an offer from. I was going to stay back in Athens, my college town, and figure it out. And I remember I, I finished my presentation, and um, it's like 30 slides. It wasn't much of a plan, but <laughs> it's the best plan that I knew how to put together at the time. Um, and I learned a lot of the hard lessons about planning. And um, my, my dad looked at me, and he's like, why can't you do both? 
the job in the work on the startup. And at the time I was very tunnel vision. I didn't know how to have multiple things, do one thing and then build something else in the background, which is I think a skill in itself. And I think a really important skill. Um, I think some people think they need to double down all at once. And I think if people can learn earlier in life, the consistency and the little steps actually pay off. I think I would save myself a lot of harm earlier, um, financially, health, uh, <laughs> in my life that I kind of disregarded to try and rush through to get to a place that I didn't really understand what I was trying to get to. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely um, was told not to, and I did, my, did it my own way. But at the same time, like, that period was immensely important for me to meet people who were like-minded and well, it wasn't maybe the smartest decision for my health or my um, financial pockets. I always had the long-term interest in mind and thought like it would pay off and the decisions I make then would pay off later. And to be honest with you, it's paid off in, in so many ways. Um, and I'm so glad I did it in retrospect, but when you're kind of going through a dark tunnel, it's hard to realize what the light is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to predict kind of where it's going to ultimately end up for you. And it sounds like you kind of, you had that all or nothing mentality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't really, I never really had a plan B never really had like a, a place to hedge my bets. I, I kind of just went all in. Um, and to me, like that's been, been a very good strategy for me, but I think now where I go all in, I also realize the things around the corner. Whereas before it was hard for me to understand how the bricks I was laying then would help build a wall later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and uh, I'm sure you, you probably know him. Uh, James clear. He, he wrote atomic habits. Yeah. yeah. And he talks about getting 1% better every, every day. And he talks about kind of goal setting and not, and how that all or nothing mentality can actually be very detrimental for you to actually end up, reaching the that ultimate goal or 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 outcome so it's uh it's kind of it's interesting mm. yeah i mean i think james clear does a really nice job um you know making things watered down and simple on uh, how to do complex things so he's a i think a good influence for people at a, especially in early stage of life who haven't had the chance to kind of form habits and, and positive habits in different areas of their life and I think that process is very difficult to manage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And so reflecting back on college, I think it's a time where you see people choose the path of, I want to fit in or the path of, I want to stand out. I'm guessing there is some point or it sounds like it happened much earlier for you where you decided on kind of the latter, whether that was intentional or not of kind of standing out from the pack yeah i mean i think i think i did try and fit in like i really did i really tried to take you know go after the job i really tried to fit into the student organization really try and apply myself in my major at college i really tried to join the fraternity and do the things that other kids were doing and i think that never really like felt if I'm, I think I was pretty emotionally aware of my intuition at the time. And for whatever reason, the decisions that I was making didn't really like align um, with 
kind of who I was and I felt that inside. I didn't know what that was, but it was definitely a voice. And I think the minute I started listening to the voice that told me just to go in a different direction, I started making decisions in different directions. Now, I didn't know where I was going to end up. It's not it's like I'm going to be an entrepreneur and do my own business and it's all going to be sunshine and roses. Like that was never, and I never like carried myself like that. I always was, but where I came alive was kind of having an idea in my head, putting it to paper and then executing it and seeing it through all the way to the end. And I think I started doing that time after time in small capacities under different platforms. And I realized, you know, I should just do this all for myself because I think I could build something much better than the people I was doing it with or under and, and not to discredit those opportunities, but I felt like I had the tools, the network and the know-how, you know, after a certain point to kind of go, go on out on my own and then continue to learn from there. It's an evolving journey. And I think the more I kind of put myself into these uncomfortable waters of areas I didn't really know how to activate or swim in, the more alive I felt and in the right territory. And so I'd say, the more I tried to stand out fully on my own and just be myself was like first times in my life where I really felt like I fit into the people in the world around me. And like for me, that was right after college. For me, that was meeting and spending time with the best friends that I have in Atlanta. Although I'm in DC now, I look at Atlanta more as like a home than DC. Even though I grew up here, I'm back here, kind of reestablished roots and with my family. But um, I, I don't like go out of my way in DC to have fun and like make it home home. Like it's to me just a place to live, work, work out and just like go through the world. And so um, I'll, I'll close by saying in the, on this question, like I, I decided to stand out because I think that the internal urges inside of me just didn't really feel right about the places I was going. And so I listened to right. that voice and I don't think most people listen to that voice. It's a hard voice to listen to. Right. And was there a specific tipping point or aha moment for you that kind of really got you to double down on listening to that voice? Yeah, I, I remember I was, uh, I was a senior in college and there was a, a mentor I'd really looked up to is running a moving company in Athens, Georgia. His name was Chris Harris. And, um, you know, he invested a lot of time and energy into me. I think he really cared. And he saw a lot of himself in me at a young age and so he invested time and to help help me, and it was great. Um, and I remember I was grappling with taking the job in New York in college and um, not taking the job and, and pursuing the startup. And I remember inside it was like, yeah, I'm going to take the job. But I was staying up in bed one night, and my heart, and my voice just kept beating louder and louder and louder, and like that voice didn't want to go away. And I remember I went, I wasn't going to listen to it. And then I texted him. I was like, so I think I'm going to take the job. It's like at probably 1 a.m. And he, and he texted <laughs> me back and he was like, basically telling me I'm scared, basically telling me like he wasn't going to like spend time with me as a friend and like invest in our relationship because of what I was doing, I think being a wow. coward away at the time. And like, it wasn't him being this like, prick entrepreneur that would only spend time it's like i think he saw something in me that like i couldn't see in myself at the time and realized that you're never ready to do the hard thing you're never ready to do the thing that scares you and i think that in that moment my, my voice was beating so loud and, and then after that conversation i woke up the next day i was like okay i'm gonna do this um 
And I think I listened, I listened and I knew like what I was doing. It felt aligned. I wasn't just doing some random thing to make money. Like what I was doing was wholeheartedly aligned to who I was as a person. And so because of that, um, it felt right. It was just extremely scary. But I remember just pounding and pounding inside of me. Uh, and I'm so glad I listened. And it didn't come easy either. Like it came with a lot more pain and suffering after it, for sure. Yeah. Um, but a lot more opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have mentors like that that really kind of push you and keep you keep you accountable. Yeah, yeah, I was very I was very fortunate to have Chris in my corner, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so looking back, how do you perceive the value of your college experience, kind of as a whole? I mean, look, it was a great time for self exploration. It was a great time to kind of be so far away from home and kind of find myself in the way on my own terms and get involved with the things I wanted to, you know, to me, grades, it was just about getting by. I had a scholarship to Georgia. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how they gave me a scholarship, but I appreciate it. And I win <laughs> state tuition and I had to keep a three O. And so my mentality was keep a three O go, go create as many relationships as possible. I was also like, I admit, like I was very fortunate that, I didn't have to work at a fast food restaurant in college to pay the bills. And so because of that, I took my opportunities. I, I worked a lot of unpaid jobs and I got myself through a lot of doors. I probably would have never been able to, if I didn't sign up for free um, early. Um, and so I, you know, everyone's Delta came the cards in life. I played the one that was dealt to me mm-hmm. um, to the best of my ability. And so in college, I used it as a springboard to really just, my dad told me when I went to college, go meet as many people as you can. So if there's one thing I would have done differently is I would have met networked and met people. And that's the one thing I didn't do. Uh, that's one thing he didn't do and he still made it pretty far. And so to me, like that, that's, that meant a lot to me that and my dad sent me off with one piece of advice out of all the other lessons that was go network and meet people. Uh, and so I made college, you know, a huge time for me to just go through as many doors as I could and, and see what was, you know, turn over as many rocks and see what was under the rocks and did they line up with who I was. And, um, I also knew in college, like I wasn't there to get like married. Most kids in Georgia, they like sign up to go get their MR, Mr. and Mrs. degree. And, Oh, interesting. Okay. Like for me, like I had already experienced a family at a young age kind of being disrupted. I had already kind of seen work kind of be at the center of a family. And like, that's great. I think I wanted both. I wanted to, I wanted to be passionate about my work and have the family at the same time and do all those things. So I made work, my intention and focus clear very early. And like, yeah, I dated around, but it wasn't like, I need to go fall in love with someone and like mm-hmm. do that Southern thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just for me, college was a time of, I think, true self-exploration, true learning, you know, trying opportunities, meeting people. So I could get very clear and aligned on kind of maybe who I was and, and where I wanted the world to take me from there. So um, I was really just trying to discover myself on my own path in the way that suited me the best and um, not really sacrifice you know, myself at the expense of things that I was supposed to be doing from a societal level. And I think mm-hmm. that's hard, especially in an environment like Georgia, which is a bunch of white dudes and women from the South. That's like 10%, I think, ethnically diverse. Now don't quote me on those numbers, but that's just 
the truth. And I, I was also very different in that environment. But that also forced me to probably stand out a little bit more as well. Right. And so, so talk to me about the genesis of your first entrepreneurial venture. Uh, I believe it was with the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, like I told you, I was trying to create all these opportunities for myself and find my way. I, I interned at a college freshman year at American University in their athletic department. And that led to me working the, my sophomore year for University of Georgia's athletic department and then their sports, sports agency in town called IMG that represented all their sports properties. And I was like, oh, I got the small school athletic department, the big school athletic department, the agency. You know, I was like, what's next? And I was like, oh, the professional sports teams. And I interned my summer year, my sophomore summer at um, Atlanta Hawks. I was the youngest intern ever. Um, and I actually wasn't supposed to get the, basically, you know, this is a fun story. I, I wasn't supposed to be allowed to intern. They had some stupid policy with the Hawks that said, you need to get class credit and being your official program. And I wasn't going to be able to do the internship because I wasn't going to have the sign off. And so I went to the dean of the business school and I was like, hey, uh, they're not going to let me intern because I'm not in the Terry program of business yet. I was like, can you sign off? His name was Mark Dawkins. Never forget. And he looked at me and he's like, I'll do this for you. He's like, please not tell anyone. And... <laughs> Again, this was a dean of the accounting school, very tenured dean at the University of Georgia. And he created, a, he created an opportunity for me to go be an intern. And then because of that, I, I was an intern. I'll get to your story, but I think the story before, it's kind of cooler. Yeah, yeah, um, And when I got there, my first few weeks, I literally looked at the directory online. And I went through all the people who I thought would be worth meeting, thinking about my dad's advice. And I reached out to this chief revenue officer, the head of sales, the head of partnerships. I was like, screw it. Like, I'm here, you know, one summer. Might as well make the most of it and meet everyone I could. And to my credit, the guy I worked under was the head of the sports programs department, still one of my biggest like, mentors today, and an incredible family man. Look up to him so, in so many ways. And he gave me he, he gave me the summer of a lifetime. Like I was so grateful for everything he talked to me, shared with me, taught me, you know, included me within. It was it was really beautiful. And um, so after that summer, I was I went back to school in the fall, and I was running this um, uh, sports organization at Georgia called Professional Entertainment and Sports Association. And one of my probably you know objectives for the year was to put on a game night connecting st the student body to the University of Georgia um, and to the Hawks. Sorry. Okay. So I asked, I went back to those people who I met and I asked to talk to you for my internship and said, you know, and the high level people in the different departments who like took the time to meet with me. And I said, hey, I'm running this organization. Would you consider doing a game night? I said, I'll go sell tickets on campus. I just want you to show up, speak, put a panel on. So I sold 60, 70 tickets on campus. The chief revenue officer told me he wouldn't talk to me until I sold like 30 tickets. And then once I sold 30, he's like, I'm not going to speak until you sell 40. So then I hit 40 and he goes, okay, I won't speak until you sell 50. And finally I sold <laughs> the tickets. He was like, okay, I'll speak now. And I was like, yeah. 
it taught me a good lesson though, but I'll never forget it. Like he clearly saw like I would push boundaries. And so at that event, it was a really special event. And I was sitting in the nosebleeds with our student body after the speaking event. And I kind of was getting goosebumps just from the whole event. And I just I put something together. It was really impactful for the student body. And I looked out and I saw this upper deck arena and it was empty. I mean, look, I mean this was Hawks back in 2013, 14. Not the best at the time. They've never been that great. Um, and so anyways, uh, <laughs> I was just like, huh. I was looking at the students in front of me. I was looking at the upper deck and I was like, why aren't there more students? Um, and so I started getting all these ideas during the event. And I reached out to the head of uh, ticket sales after his name was Eric Platt. And I said, do you guys sell the student groups? And he said, no. He said, there's way too much turnover at the student level. You guys, it's just not worth our time. Oh, so I did a little research, did a little numbers. There's over 100,000 plus students, uh, or 200,000, I think, plus students within eight to 10 universities within, I think, a 90 to 120 mile radius just within Atlanta. I was like, oh, there's a market. And within that market, there was Greek Life, which is a big market in Georgia that connected student groups to these games. And within Greek Life, there was, uh, they all cared about their philanthropy. They like give back. And so, I mean, like, that's great and all, but I was like, how can I convince student group leaders to go to Hawks games, not Braves games, not dumpster truck events at the Falcon Stadium, but go to the Hawks games? And so I built a database of all the date night chairs and philanthropy chairs, and basically through tons of discovery, and we, we literally built a product. It was an ambassador program. It still exists to this day. It's a $300,000 a year plus program. You know, this is before COVID times, coronavirus, for those that listen. And basically I figured out that these date night and philanthropy chairs, they, they wanted ways to give back. So we built a program around giving back to these philanthropies. And then I was able to build a whole database at eight different universities. And I was able to do it myself. And then I was like, huh, how do I scale this? And I was like, huh, what if I put in ambassadors? And basically I found student reps and I built systems for each student rep to kind of carry out the kind of secret sauce the playbook of how to execute on campus and track sales and reach out to people and communication scripts and all these pieces and that's very much like our business today in just a completely different market and with with a different some with different components around it like storytelling and content and other pieces but right we taught people on campuses how to build community um in a digital way and get people to do things and so that that's how the hawk story happened was I saw an opportunity to connect student groups on campus to the Atlanta Hawks to drive ticket sales and literally built a whole program around that with the help of the ticket sales professionals of the Hawks using their brand name, right? It was credible, right? And until you have credibility behind you, you sometimes have to leverage the credibility of other people and other platforms. And for me, the Hawks were the best thing in front of me at the time to do that. And so I think I took full advantage and they were awesome and they helped me bring a program to life that is cool it's outlast it's clearly outlasted my time there and i think that's the true definition of like building up positive legacy with you know an organization wow that's that's great and that that also would have never ha- would have never have happened if you didn't 
create those relationships within the Hawks organization beforehand too. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think that there's no way if I didn't take the time to carefully, conscientiously. And when I met those people, I had a thank you note every time. I sent a follow up email. I I found ways to help them. Like it wasn't just a hey, let me like learn about you. It was very thoughtful. It was very courteous. It was, I think, it was doing the right thing by people. And um, I just felt like it was very special. Yeah. And is it, is it okay to tell the story about the Dean doing that special, I guess, favor for yeah, you yeah, now? <laughs> story. If PGA wants to revoke my degree, they can. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and so during your, during your senior year, you also founded wish dish as well, right? Yeah. So when I was kind of creating that program actually for the Hawks and the Braves, like I also hit a really low point during that period. And, I just started questioning, like I, I've been standing out, I've been doing all these things as, I, as I've shared. And, and a lot of doing these things was having this chip on my shoulder from high school, from never really fitting in, from never like belonging and ever feeling good enough in academics and sports and all these areas. And so I kind of ran myself over the mountain uh, in college and I kind of fell flat on my face. Um, and it was, it was definitely like a darker time, um, definitely a low point for a while. Um, and I, I started working with, I called up the, my therapist, or, or he's, a, he's a performance coach, I told you about, Neil. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with in sports, and I said, can you help me with my life? <laughs> um, so I, I started working with him again, and really, I just what felt like it was just a period of like complete self-discovery and awareness around the things that mattered to me is digging into my past and why I was doing all the things I was doing, why I was taking the actions I was taking. I think I was going through college a bit blind, trying to make up for these like prior shortcomings in my life. And while I was succeeding, I felt like I was aimlessly succeeding, kind of climbing up the round, climbing up the wrong mountain of success. Um, and I think understanding why I was taking those actions, it became very clear to me that I was rooted in a lot of my past. And so I got, very clear on I think what was important to me why I did a lot of writing during this time and I really think between the summer my junior year and senior year while I was also kind of forming this program kind of you know slowly I was also power washing working on a farm really taking time for myself and then doing a lot of writing reading going to these sessions that were very deep and I felt like it was like this emotional like soul exertion every time I came in and left and then deep rates with my mom at dinner. And just like, I went through this period of just full transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came into my senior year of college and I started questioning, like, is sports what's right for me? Um, I also, and so, so I, I hit that really low point And I was also at the point of, you know, within sports, I remember a meeting with the Hawks and it was that fall before the program was launching. And I was just, I was at a lunch and there were three of the executives there. One of them said like, oh, I need to get like three direct reports above me to like approve something. And like, I don't remember anything about that conversation besides like that line. And like, to me, what I heard was if, if I have ever have to work somewhere where it's going to take three lines of influence to get my ideas heard and valued, like, oh, it's not, that's not a place for me. And so I was also in this period of, transforming and kind of coming into my own and that summer I'd done a lot of writing and I wanted to share what I had learned and I felt like I had grown out of my shell 
and I didn't really know like what path to go on next or where to like fund my home next with the right people. Um, and so I just started thinking deeply. I remember I came home, not drunk, but pretty intoxicated one night from a Georgia, Tennessee football. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. And I just kind of stayed up in bed and I just took out a notepad and I started writing. Um, and I ended up with a sentence or a paragraph that like really like struck me um, and like my intuition. And I used that and I woke up the next day, you know, that Sunday and I sent that sentence out to like 20 people. And I was like, what do you think of this? I just wanted feedback. I was like, what do you think of this? And then I, I asked a bunch of people and like, it seemed to resonate. People helped me tweak it. And I kind of came to like a final sentence. I'm like, Oh, what can I do with this? Um, and what happened from there is I, I turned it into a blog called Influence, where the idea was to write something meaningful to influence others for the better. And then my friend in my entrepreneurship class at the time would caught on to it because we became Facebook friends. He said, hey, you should start a, like a real blog. And so then I was like, how the hell do you start a website? I was like, still so foreign to web and digital and all the things beyond just how to like stalk people on Facebook and get them to do things. And so... <laughs> Greek life days and so um i got a website up like two or three months later and i was coming into the new year spring semester my senior year and i remember he reached out to me he's like brian he's like i've told so many people to start websites all these things he's like no one's ever listened to me um he's like it just makes me really happy like he followed through blah 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 and you know i started getting all these incredible stories and i remember reading these submissions on the platform that ended up being called wish dish and I was like, I'm going to get a bunch of people to share their stories in a raw, vulnerable, authentic way. And I'm going to share mine eventually and kind of make sense of this platform so people can understand why this exists. And so I, um, I yeah, I, I started getting all these submissions and started sharing mine. It came, came time to make my decision of what I was going to do closer to spring break. I accepted a job in New York and I, I was just so drawn and gravitated towards what I was doing that I didn't think anything else at the time could have really um, gotten me to the next chapter, like the way this platform, I think, carried me into that phase of my life. And so for me, I, um, I doubled down on what I believed in and, and made those hard choices. And that's why I started Wish Dish, because I hit a really, really hard moment of my life that I think shaped me. And went through a transformational process, got the help I needed, and I think took the next step forward, where I think situations like that can take people back or throw them on, you know, a bad sidestep. And I think for me, I really kind of took it head, fully head on. Um, and, I, and I couldn't be happier with that decision. Wow, that's that's awesome. And so how many people ended up contributing to the, the platform and, and sharing their stories? I think in total we had over 800. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I, again, I went through my phone directory. I got like the first 60 to 70 people to commit. And I stocked them down until they, they committed. And then as soon as they <laughs> say we shared it, they shared it. Then I firm requested all their friends. And as soon as they accepted a firm request, I asked them to share. It was just viral growth hacking. I like, like, I mean, not viral, like unscalable growth hacking. I'm <laughs> just like, befriending people online, asking them to be a part of what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing, but I believed in what I was doing. And I think at the time, like, you no know, business plan or not, I got really far and very little. Um, 
and I got tons of people to do work for me for free. I paid like a payroll of like 800 bucks. I was getting like people to work like half the full time. I mean, it's not like I was proud of that then. The business we run today, we don't do any free work. Like we pay people for their time and like, but then like it was at a different point in my life. I was like 22, 23. Yeah. And I was still in my college town. I was sleeping. I was, I was literally paying like 300 bucks in rent. And I like to me, like life is just this like big fun game of motivation, figuring it out. And I, I knew in the long run it would work its way out. But I was very lost. Yeah, yeah. Were there any... Uh, were there any like friendships, work partnerships or other relationships that you know that began as a result of kind of people yeah. sharing their stories on Wishdish? Oh, I mean, the girl we just hired full time as our head of marketing, she just graduated from Syracuse um, University Newhouse program. I mean, we built a friendship for five years. I mean, she's incredible. She's, wow. Um, I mean, she just gets it. And, and she's literally stepped in, taken over pretty much all of our marketing systems. Um, She's grasped the vision. She's literally putting together our entire website right now, like from all the mock-ups and designs that we've been working on since November, so all the content transitions. She's put together the whole entire content strategy. She's putting together the entire um, PR strategy and machine that we're gonna do after we launch the website. Like, I mean, I think she, she like, I met her through that. I met an incredible group of board of advisors. One was the co-founder of Elite Daily back in its prime. One was one of my biggest mentors one was um a bunch of other people i was at the time i was introduced to so many friends that i still have to this day um entrepreneurial relationships i made then i best friends with still those guys um that was a great platform for me to like do something that was fully authentically representative of me and that drew in the bright people and because of that that built relationships from there um, they introduced me to the right outlets. Um, and, um, I mean, to, even to this day, like, you know, those, that website stays up. It still gets three, four, 500 visits a month. And like, to me, it's like, what if it's impacting three, four or 500 lives a month through, you know, authentic relations and things that happen. And that was the idea. How do you connect people through vulnerable content and drive community around it? And so, mm -hmm. um, that was really special. That's awesome. And so what were the biggest takeaways for you from, from running Wishdish? Yeah, I, I have a web uh, article on my website. If you want to show this in your website or show notes, but it's called, oh, okay. it's called the autopsy on my first failed startup. And basically I went over from a marketing perspective, all the things I did wrong with that one compared to this one. Um, and I think that was really insightful. Um, so one, like understanding how to build a brand and what makes a brand and like why, you know, I think I had a good idea in theory, but I could have constructed it and architected it in a completely different way and it would have done a lot better. Um, I think that's one takeaway that I, I've invested so much into the branding and infrastructure of BW Missions, where for Wish Dish, it was like, yeah, logo there, color scheme here, graphics, like great, call it a day. Like understanding what makes people tick um, by like a human level is marketing. And I think understanding the human dynamics and how to appeal to that and all the different capacities, I think is one of the most powerful skill sets you can have because you can build any business with that skill set. Um, so that's one. 
Um, two, I think it's just like planning. One of my biggest failures with Wishdish was I had no idea how to plan. I had no idea how to set long-term goals. I had no idea how to stack short-term goals to help long-term goals be achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, I was young. I was raw. I was doing this for the first time. It was scary as heck. But I had no idea how to plan. I had no idea how to sell quarterly plans. I, and then by the time I started figuring it out, I ran out of money. And I was like, oh, crap. I really need to find my next steps. And um, so I think planning, understanding what goes into creating a long-term plan around, around different departments, around financials, around legal, like all these pieces are, and they felt so intimidating. Uh, and then three, like I think the obvious one that I've shared is just like listening to that inner voice is hard. I've had faced multiple moments in my life. I had a personal relationship that was not a good fit that I listened to that took real, it took a long time to listen to a business, you know, I look at those things and it's like, if I had made the comfortable decisions, even though my voice was screaming at me, I was probably hate myself for that to this day. And it'd be a lot of burden and trauma, I think, to carry with me. Um, I think the fact that I can look back on my life and really have no regrets around the big decisions or the things that I think to me are really important. Like, that's how I want to go out in this world. Like, you know, I'm tucked under the soil, like, do it with no regrets, you know, like yeah, tuck, yeah. Tuck me a while, nothing to like, you know, feel bad about. Um, yep. So that's, those would probably be the main three. Okay. Got it. And then fast forwarding here a bit. When did you get the inklings to start BW missions? Yeah. So after I kind of failed wish dish, I was like, I need to kind of get my paid master's degree. I was like, I was like, I don't really have any desire to go back to school. Um, and look, I think master's programs serve a purpose and like, I consider actually going back to school again, but at the time that was just, I didn't think I needed more education around things. I thought getting up more of an applied education, um, and get paid and build relationships and build transferable skills was, I could get a three for one. Um, so I spent, I started to ask myself questions and doing a lot of reflection and self-discovery after which just like, those are the things I need to learn. If I want to return to something like this one day, what do I need to do in the next year, next two years to really launch on my own again? Because I, I just I knew I needed to go work for somebody and like learn, but I don't want to sell out either. Because I already put in so much kind of sweat equity into my own dreams. It's like, how can I latch onto someone else's? And so I did. I went and found an investment fund, a, a job at an investment fund called Kairos. Um, and Kairos was great. Uh, I learned how to build and scale a global community. That's something I was really passionate about with Wishdish. I wanted to understand how to do that at scale. Um, and Kairos understood branding. They, they, they really understood like the visual identity of a brand and the messaging of a brand. And that was really, really great education to get at 22 after a startup that had very vague and general messaging. Um, it didn't really right. stand for anything. So like did that, did that for a year, year and a half. It was awesome. Um, and I kind of reached my ceiling there and I said, okay, what's next? And I didn't feel ready to go on my own again. I felt like what I could have really used was working under a really good CEO. I also wanted to expand my content skills and understand content distribution a little bit better because that's something I maybe didn't understand when I was doing my first startup. And so I found a CEO in DC who was launching a book called The Creative Curve. Um, and um, that was, that was incredible. His name was Alan Gannett. And um, I learned so much from Alan. I um, was really just, I, I wore like seven or eight hats for him. I was his PR guy. I was his events guy. I was his 
social media guy. I was his community guy. I was his, you know, operations guy. I was his executive assistant. I was, you know, his marketer. I was, I was everything like in between wearing 18 different hats. And like, he put me to work. He knew how to work me. He knew how to work me hard and he knew how to stay on me. And he was also in the middle of his company getting um, merging slash acquired, but we'll say merging. Um, he was in the middle of a divorce. Yeah. He still kept his company together through the merge. He still got divorced and we saw the successful book launch. And I was like, holy shit, what's the secret to this guy? And he was just so consistent. He knew how to function. He knew how to build systems. He knew how to be a leader and with tough love. And um, I look at that and I was just like, wow. Um, and I think after that experience, I knew all along, okay, I think after this, I could be ready for my own again. And so as I was working with him, I was building a brand in the background just under brianwish.com. I figured I'd launch on my own um, as, as just myself. And, and, you know, if I did a good job for Alan, you know, my hunch was he'd probably help me get it off the ground. And so, you know, I finished really strong. I launched a website. He shared a social media post about it. I remember I got 100,000 views. I got 24 calls, 24 leads off of it. I literally, LinkedIn requested every single person off that post, um, <laughs> messaged them, and I said, you know, thanks for liking Alan's post about me. We'd love to connect, blah, blah, blah. Ran, ran, ran the game. That's awesome. And that turned into 24 phone calls, and from that, like, the first four clients, and I was also, like, eight to $10,000 in debt at the time, too. Like, I put money into building a really strong kind of visual infrastructure. What you see today is pretty much what we had, what I had two years ago, although a lot of things have evolved. But I put a lot of time into getting the things I got wrong with Wishdish right coming out of the gate. And like, I was like, oh, I'll pay this back. It's like, I've already been broke before. I'll, I'll go broke again. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't a good feeling, but it's like I knew I'd, I knew I'd figure it out. It's just like, I'll figure it out. And so I blocked from Alan, we finished our engagement. I stayed on for a month, like after we were like done, done, just doing some like small menial stuff to wrap up. Um, got the clients and, you know, he, uh, that, that was great. One of the first clients was a client named David Sherman, who was referred also by a friend of mine. Um, and David like understood how to build businesses. And David, David built a pretty successful business out of New York, the largest online education platform for lawyers in the world. And Oh, I think um, I know that business. Okay. That's cool. Law, Law line. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, David, uh, David really helped just kind of me think about how to like productize and build a service. He's like, do you want to be a one man consultant or do you want to build a business? And I didn't give it much thought. I was just like, I'm just trying to like get out of the hole and do something for myself. And I didn't really have a plan. Um, and David was not only a client, but he was a mentor and he helped me really think through how to like construct a business and productize. And then he started making referrals. And then David was like my mini business partner and a client yet never gave him equity or whatever, but he, he was took such a, um, investment of his own time and resources into me, um, and kind of helped me think through about, how do I build a business? Cause I think it, and the core concept of the business was actually really good. Um, but it was how to continue building it, building that out. So yeah, that's, I know I'm giving you a lot of depth in these answers and not stopping me, but um, BW missions happened as a result of knowing with Alan, I wanted to go on my own and I felt ready. 
uh, and then using my skills around content and community and working with these thought leaders and realizing there was a market for CEOs and authors and yep. executives to build these personal brands and communities for themselves to apply to their business objectives. And we've been able to stay niche and true to who we are and get better every day. That's awesome. So provide a, provide an overview of BW missions for like how it stands today for the, for the people listening. Yeah, we, uh, turn, I'd like to say we, we turn experts into thought leaders and really help them craft their pathway to belong in the world with their message, um, and, and drive a digital community behind it and activate that community to make it happen. Uh, like one of our clients, his name is Jeff Gothelf and he just launched a book called forever employable. And first week over a thousand sales, we've been building community on this platform for six months. We've been sharing, creating, helping him create content. It's vulnerable, real connective. Um, and, the, and like, there's clear ROI. Like it's, yeah, he plays a long-term game. These are high level um, people. And I like to say, we're not just a marketing company. I like to say like, we're in the business of pathfinding. What we do for one client, it might be completely different for the next, but at the end of the day, the core kind of variables will always be the same. We're going to help people share incredible content. We're going to help people build really meaningful and engaged communities. And we're going to drive it around specific functions. And whether we do that for, this niche of author CEOs and executive thought leaders, we can also do it for young kids right out of college. And we're working on an education product and, um, you know, various things so they can find their way in the world faster. Like I want to build a brand that really stands for something special. Um, not just stick ourselves into a marketing vehicle or, uh, like we're teaching people how to belong in the world. Um, and to me, it's just, it has a higher purpose. It makes the nitty gritty kind of a little easier to digest. Right, right. And uh, officially, how long have you been uh, working on BW Mission so far? Is it yeah, a little over a year? year and eight months. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And, and kind of overall, how has the experience been for you so far? I mean, it's been great. I mean, we've revenues increased every year. We have four full-time employees now. You might be able to tell by our website, but we're working on some things behind the scenes. Um, we've had some incredible client success. We work with Wall Street Journal bestselling authors. We've worked with um, public CEOs on NASDAQ. We've worked with um, executives at incredible companies. And we get to learn. We get to learn from them and their expertise. You know, things that people, they charge hundreds of thousands of dollars for throughout the year. We, we get months at a time. Um, and I think because of that, we get really credible people behind us. We learn a ton how they do things and that, that those come, those DNA comes into our business and we apply it and um, felt very fortunate and everything's been very much referral driven from, I think the success we've had, I've barely marketed our work, although I think we're going to start soon. Um, and yeah, I just feel very fortunate. Um, so yeah. Awesome. So what's the, what's the legacy that you want to leave in your business? Yeah. I just wrote an article on my website. I'm about to publish it like for real. It's on my tombstone and it's about what the verse on my tombstone will stay with it echoes the same verse, uh, what the people will say at the funeral. And I break, I broke my life buckets up into things that I really cared about, like health, uh, personal relationships, work, financial systems, experiential learning. Like to me, those are like the five buckets for me. I value people pick their own buckets. Right. And to me at the, the 
if I can invest at the right time and you know in those areas by doing that, that's the way I kind of stand out and belong in the world, and I can help other people do the same. So to me, I feel like more than most people at 27, not that there's a right way or wrong way to do this, but I, just, I felt very clear on the end. And I think because of that, I can be much more intentional with how I live and, and the decisions I make and not question them because I feel like they're all aligned to something that to me allows me to be who I am um, in the most authentic form possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then getting to these last few questions, uh, what does your daily routine look like? And let's go pre-pa- uh, pre-pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar. One's with an office, one's without an office. I think one, I get up at typically 5.30, 6 a.m., sometimes 7, 7.30 if I'm tired, but typically it's between 6 to 7 most days. Um, I um, do my most heads down work in the morning, my planning, my heads down, my things that like are a priority for the week, priority for that day. If I get the first two or three, four things done in the day that are most important by like 9, 10 a.m., I feel really good about the rest of the day. Um, I, I either work out too in the morning or meditate. I've been doing meditation and yoga lately, um, which has been really helpful, helpful. more meditation these days than yoga because I have my shoulder, but um, I've been doing that. It's been really healthy. Um, Midday, afternoon, I'm doing a lot of like meetings, you know, client work, like things that working with our team, you know, podcast interviews, like, you know, helping specific functions. Afternoons, uh, and then into the evenings, it's when I work out. You know, if I can work out um, around like five thirty, six, seven, you know, some sometime between like five to seven, that's great. Eat dinner, go to bed, try and be in bed by like eleven, um, and do it all over again for five days. I've started to more recently take the full weekends off. That's very new for me. Interesting. I work on the weekends, although I'm finding I think, you know, coming in, you know, into a week refreshed where I can just kill myself for that week. And then the weekend's a reward. Um, that's been a healthy kind of mindset to like, know if I push one more day or two more days, the weekend's right there. So that's been really good for me. Um, and then, you know, health wise, I eat, you know, pretty clean or at least try to, I drink maybe a drink or two a week. I try and exercise five or six times a week. I, I mean, I'm pretty disciplined. I'm, I'm very organized. I think everything that, you know, you think of entrepreneurship and startups is like, creative chaos and like to be honest it's the farthest thing from that like you're building your moments of structure and creativity to thrive and you have to know what works for you um and like i build in those periods of creative time that i need for me um into my schedule um but I, i'm not just trying to putz around all day i have a very clear agenda we we plan quarterly we play yearly we it's this isn't like a joke anymore to me it's like this mm-hmm. is like to me, it feels like my last shot to get it right. I might as well take full advantage of it. Right. And then bringing this back to the name of the podcast, the Driving Force podcast, what would you say has been your driving force throughout your life and your career so far? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, I, I want to move through the world the way I want to move through the world. And that may sound really selfish, but I I want to belong on my own terms. I want to have the life I want my own terms because I, I think I did the hard work early that I think people do in their thirties and forties and fifties. And because I did a lot of that in our work, um, I realized I think the path for me and what that represents and why that matters. And I'm not going to let anything get in my way to, to, to get there. 
And, you know, that's my driving force is to live the life I want to live in the, on the path and the way that I feel the most accepted. And that's through my own actions and, and no one's going to stop me from doing that. At least my, uh, while I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then before we wrap up here, uh, what words of, of wisdom or advice would you like to leave the, the 20 something year old listening to this, who's struggling to find their, their purpose? It, I think it starts with self-discovery. I think it starts with like looking in the mirror and really asking yourself, Lauren, what are the hard questions I'm not asking myself? What are the things I need to get really clear on? What are the things that are difficult to confront and face about my life that I want for my future? And really extrapolate that into the future and work backwards. And then within that, find the people out there who can help you get there. And like reaching out is scary, but like reaching out and like building a community of people around you, that's the best thing you can do because you're going to start meeting people on that journey that you're going to feel very connected to. And because of that, I think through that process, you are going to be able to stand out. You are going to be able to like find yourself and like do things on your own terms and start getting very clear on what you want to do and like the path in front of you. Um, and that's hard to do. It's really hard to take the first step. It's scary to take the second step and tell people you need help. And then lastly, then to like have the courage to actually use those kind of ingredients to then go be the person you want to be is even scarier because I think it's scary to want to stand out on your own. But once you start doing it, you'll realize that like I'm going to, I'm going to increase inbound of the right types of people in, in my direction versus you always having to seek out other people in places that maybe aren't aligned. Um, and that's my story, right? I've, I've done a lot of research around this or scientific writing and whatever, but like I've done it around the things in, way, in which I've grown up and my own biases. But I think that that same story can be echoed by a lot of other people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Awesome. Brian, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. This is great. Oh, Chase, pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. And um, I really like what you're doing and what you stand for. And um, thanks for putting so much thought and effort into the questions you asked and really digging into. Uh, I was very impressed by the preparation. Um, and that's, I think, something, you know, if I didn't say in this episode for young people, I think preparation is half the battle because if you do that, you give yourself a chance. Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate that. So, where can people go if they want to? kind of follow what you're up to on social media and the, the website and so on. Yeah. Go to bwmissions.com, subscribe. You'll get updates on our podcast, our newsletter, which I think is, you know, some really good pieces of content and not just spammy stuff. Um, you, they'll get, um, so that's first place I'm on LinkedIn. I write a lot of meaningful stuff on LinkedIn as well. Um, there's a lot of trash on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> however, yeah. I try and keep things pretty real and not try and sell things and, you know, try and create opportunities. I use it as a platform to like create opportunities for people in their twenties. And if potential clients kind of see them, my work and they, they like that too. Great. But like, to me, it's not a platform I'm trying to sell and market like, you know, a ton. It's, it's a place to be authentic and, and kind of build one community. And it's a tool that lets me do that right now. I'm sure there'll be others down the road. So that's, that's that. And um, you can email me at Brian, B-R-Y with a Y-A-N at brianwish.com. Um, so yeah, I'll reply and get back to you. Awesome. And I'll just echo what he said about the LinkedIn posts. His posts are very good. So definitely do connect with him and follow him on LinkedIn. 
And you all can also uh, visit my website, chaserosa.com and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes and on my endurance training journey. Thanks everyone who's listening and see you next time.